0: For those of you that are watching online, welcome. We're so glad that you are here at Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman. You can download your growth guide at cornerstonenh.org slash growth guide. And we'd also love for you to check in. And that's whether you're here on site. You can use the card that is in your growth guide and drop it in the box before you go. Or you can use our app. Just search for Church Center in your app store and then find Cornerstone. Or you can even text uh, to our church number 6032252550. As mentioned, we are in a series that we are working through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter from the apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. It's called In It Together because that is the theme that we are in this together. And the theme verse, as far as I'm concerned for this series and for this book is found in Philippians 1:27. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Remember, but one of the distinctives of Philippi was that it was a Roman colony which means that they were Roman citizens and they enjoyed certain privileges and benefits as a result of that but the apostle Paul is saying i want you to remember that as as great as it is to be a citizen of the, of Rome that you are a citizen of heaven that is your primary allegiance and that is the thing that makes the biggest difference in your life so As citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, that there are certain things that are appropriate and inappropriate, certain things that are right and wrong. And we want you to be discerning about that and live a life that is worthy of the good news. When we started Cornerstone, one of the things that we wanted to do was create a church That for people who didn't think they were interested in church, and I thought about that as I was preparing for this week because uh, so many of the things that people encounter in church that turn people off to church, uh, and you know what those things are. You know, if you've been to church for more than one or two times, you know what those things are. Could be solved if we, the people who claim the name of Christ, would just not do stupid things, say stupid things, and app stupid things out, right? And so that's what the apostle Paul is saying. It's like, uh, if you would just live as citizens of heaven, let that be your primary identity, that be your primary allegiance, and live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that kind of takes care of everything. So that's kind of our bottom line for the whole series is we're, we're talking about what it means to be citizens worthy of the gospel of of Christ. Now, last week, when we worked through this passage at the beginning of the letter, I used that to highlight a lot of the themes that we'll see over and over again in this letter of Philippians. And in fact, uh, if you want to, one of the best ways that you can prepare for Sunday morning and get more out of Sunday morning is just to read the scriptures, to read the book of Philippians, uh, and just read through it so that you can become familiar with it, so you can understand it and kind of get the flow of it. And today we're going to look at a similar passage, but we're going to look at that flow. We're going to follow the flow and the and it'll be a familiar passage because we looked at it last week, but instead of just looking at themes, we're going to look at the, the way that that scripture flows. So today we are talking about expectations, and the question that we're going to be answering is this one. How can I be certain that I will keep on growing. How can I be certain then will keep that I'll keep on growing? We looked at this kind of key verse, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It's found in this section in the intro to Philippians it says, "And I am certain," the Apostle Paul talking about the people at Philippi, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day When Christ Jesus returns. What's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, I have a certainty. There are certain expectations that I have. Because God began the good work in you, he's going to continue it. Past, he began a good work. Right now, he's continuing it. And in the future, he's going to keep doing it until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And this is encouraging to us. It should be encouraging to us. Because... Most likely, if you're like most people, if you're like me, there are certain things going on in your life that you'd like to see different. You know, there are frustrations, perhaps, that have been going on for a long time that you'd like to see resolved. Relationships that have been troubled that you would like to see get better. And sometimes it's very frustrating because we keep encountering the same kinds of problems, the same kinds of relational issues, the same kinds of things over and over again, and we'd like for them to change. And then there's the even more frustrating part, which is when the frustrating part of your life is you, right? That that you are are responding in a way that you really don't want to respond, and a situation comes up that you've dealt with before, and you know you shouldn't deal with it in that way, and then you just kind of fall into that same rut. It's one thing to just kind of pray and hope that a circumstance will change, or a relationship will change, or a person will change, but then it's especially frustrating when it's you that's the person that needs to change, and you're not changing. So, What is it about our faith that would give us hope, despite some of the things that we've experienced, despite some of the frustrations that we have, that there is hope for the future, that we can change, that things can be different. And what the Apostle Paul, in introducing his letter to the Philippians does, is he gives them the reason why he has a certainty that God has been at work, and that he's going to continue that work, that things and people, including the person you look at in the mirror, have the possibility of changing. So here's what the Apostle Paul says, kind of my summary, and this is the bottom line if you're taking notes in your growth guide, and that is that grace in the past gives us hope until the last. Grace in the past God's grace to us in the past the effects of that grace in our lives when we see that gives us hope right up until the last until the day when Jesus returns until history comes to a close God is going to be at work he's going to be working in us and that should give us hope and here's what we hope for and what we can expect we can hope, we can expect that our love will keep on expanding we can expect that our discernment will keep on deepening, and we can expect our character to keep on growing. Today's theme, if you haven't picked up on it, is hope. There is hope. And to practically apply this, how, how, can, you, how can you go out of today with your life being better and you being better at life? A lot of it has to be with recognizing God's grace. A lot of it has to do with recognizing God's grace in your life. So I'm actually gonna give you a very practical step at the end of the, today's message to list at least three ways God has been at work in your life. And when you see the way that he's been at work in your life, you will, that will help to give you confidence that he will be at work and will continue to work in your life. So let's look at it together. Now, last week I wrote, I, I read this uh, to you. Last week I read it in a different, I'm gonna read it to you to, today in a different Uh, translation because number one, the message translation is great for helping you to see the flow of thought. It helps to connect it really well. And, Uh, just hearing it in a different translation can sometimes kind of help you to hear it with fresh ears. So this, for some of you, will be a very familiar passage, but you won't be familiar with it in the message translation. Another thing I'm going to do a little bit differently, it's kind of an experiment. You can tell me, uh, you can make a comment in your comment cards and tell me if you like it or not, is I'm actually going to put the words up on screen, especially because most likely many of you will not have a message translation in front of you. Uh, this is, remember the outline, the, the format of a letter. It starts with the greeting. This is who it's from. This is who it's to. And then it goes into an extended wish for the, benevol- uh, for the well-being of the recipients. And in Pauline letters, in the Pauline epistles, the letters from Paul, that is usually taking the form of a thanksgiving and prayer uh, segment. And that's what we encounter in Philippians So this is what it says. Every time you cross my mind, I break out into exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming, God's message from the day you heard it right up unto the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work within you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Verse 7. It's not at all fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out of it in one piece. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful, in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, thankful for these words that you inspired, that the Apostle Paul penned thousands of years ago. They speak to us today, and that is my prayer we know that the same author, the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words is here and present among us. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each heart that is here. Help all of us to hear exactly what we need to hear and know exactly what we need to do with what we hear today. Lord, we thank you for being present with us. We thank you that you are eager to speak with us. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. And feet that are quick to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's what we're talking about grace in the past gives us hope until the last. So let's talk about what it was that the Apostle Paul saw in the past that was giving him hope for their future at Philippi, because that's the same kinds of things, is the same kind of thing that is going to give us hope as well. So, as we said, Often letters from the Apostle Paul start out with this Thanksgiving and prayer section. So what does he say here at the beginning? I give thanks to my God for every remembrance for you. Every time you come to mind, I am so thankful for you. And every time I'm thankful for you, it just prompts me to prayer more and more. I'm always praying with joy. Remember, joy was one of the themes of this letter for all of you in my every prayer. So what was it that he saw? that gives him joy, that gives him hope for the future. So in the next verse, it says this, I'm so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, Belie- believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. So what, what's the apostle Paul saying? He's saying, when I look back on my experience, when I came to Philippi, what uh, the way you responded to the message of Jesus, the gospel, what happened? Number one, you believed it, you received it. Now this is a pretty good sized city, a Roman colony, like we said, but there were very few people who were familiar with uh, Jewish uh, religion. In fact, in this whole city, there, wasn't, there weren't 10 Jewish men to get together to form a synagogue. You had to have 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. They didn't have one. The people that were interested in worshiping Israel's God would gather down by the river and, and have a little church synagogue service at uh, at the river and that's where the apostle paul started his ministry there so he had almost nothing to work with nobody that was familiar with the nobody that was expecting the jewish messiah but he proclaimed the message of jesus and the people responded they believed they accepted it they received it they declared their allegiance to Jesus. So he's thankful for that, that from next to nothing, the people started out believing. And then beyond that, they were proclaiming. They joined in his ministry of proclaiming the gospel, God's message. So right from the day they heard it to the present, they've been participants in it, and they have been workers in it. They were in it together. Now, um, practically speaking that's one of the things that is so encouraging and so important about membership at Cornerstone. Why do I say that? Because when when you believe in Jesus and then join in the ministry, we don't do membership like sign a roll and that's good. It's participation. It's recognizing participation in the ministry. So I am so thankful and encouraged personally When you guys do membership, why? Because that means that you're growing. Membership at Cornerstone is primarily a spiritual growth tool. It's if you do these things, just like putting a plant in a greenhouse uh, uh, designs an environment for growth. Well, we know that if you do the things that make up membership, the next steps at Cornerstone, then you are going to grow. And it means that we're in it together. We're working together. You're believer You've fully declared your allegiance to Jesus and you're joining in the ministry. That's what it means. So that's just kind of a little practical next step. This is the time of the year where we renew membership. You don't just sign on and it's good until, you know, you die or move away. It's active participation. So we renew it every year and this is the time of year where we do that. So just a little aside, practical step. That's a great way to bolster your spiritual growth, and to be involved in the ministry of Cornerstone. But again, what is it in the past? So this is the next verse. After all of that, he says, I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished On the day when Christ Jesus returns. Again, this is where his certainty comes from. He looks back on the past and sees that God has been at work. He sees that they are currently involved in the ministry, that they had kept on believing and joined in the ministry, the mess of getting the message out. And so that gives him confidence for the future that God is going to complete his work in them. And I love the way the message translation put that. Did you catch this? It's like, it's not just a, a lot of times when people hear hope, they think, oh, I hope or as I wish, you know, I hope that things turn out. I don't have any confidence in things that are going to turn out, but I hope that they turn out. That's not what this is talking about. This is rooted in reality. How did we hear it? In verse 7, it's not at all fanciful for me to think this way about you. In other words, it's not just uh, feel-good, wishful thinking to say, oh, God is going to keep working in you, and you are he's going to complete his work I just hope that's the case and I no it it's rooted in reality it's rooted in what he's seen my prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality why you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, looking back, that's the phase we're in right now. He says, you've been in it with me. Uh, sometimes the idea of partners in grace grace, uh, can be a, what's the word? Synecdody. I looked it up this week. A synecdody for The gospel as a whole, just like when you say all hands on deck, you're referring to the hand, but it means the whole person. Well, when you talk about grace, sometimes they're talking about the gospel. He's like, he's just saying, you've been partners with me in it, the whole thing, from the beginning, from the time I was imprisoned, and now in the work that we are doing in the defense, and that has the idea of protecting the gospel from outside attack, And the confirmation, building it up strong from within, of the gospel. Now, another part about this book, that uh, this letter that you will notice as you read it, is it's a very warm, emotional letter, and you see that in this next verse. God knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. He clearly, as you read this letter, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul has an emotional connection and that the Philippians have an emotional connection with him. It's a very warm and personal letter. So that is really strong. But what the Apostle Paul is going to do next is is say, you know, we, we love one another. We feel, I feel as strongly about you, I think, as Christ does. But, But love is not just emotion. There's intelligence. There's the will. There is an ethical side to love as well. And that's what he goes on to discuss as he talks about the future, the hope that he has until the last. So we'll start out with this idea of love. Here's what you can expect if God is at work in your life. You can expect your love to keep on expanding. See all these things that the apostle Paul is praying for are things that, based on what he's seen God do, that are reflective of His care of God's character and what how the Philippians have re- have responded. He's saying, "This is, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm expecting." I pray this that your love will keep on growing. Now, love does have an emotional content to it but often in the scriptures the emphasis is on the the will side of love you don't have to feel loving towards someone to act lovingly towards them because love is making a choice for the benefit of another even if it costs you That's what Jesus taught. He said, number one, love is the distinguishing characteristic of his followers when he said that we were to love one another and that by that, by our love for one another, everyone will know that you are my followers. It's the distinguishing characteristic. It is the one great new commandment that Jesus said. He said, this is the new commandment, love one another. And what was new about that? Not to love one another, they had heard that before, it was the standard, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus said that the night before he went to the cross and laid down his life for us, his friends. So what, it, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, I, I, wanna, I want that love that's clearly evident that we both feel towards one another, the the thing that is supposed to characterize our relationship as followers of Jesus, I want that to continue growing. But it's not just an emotional component because this grace in the past that gives us hope to the last, definitely we expect our love, our commitment to one another and our warmth among one another to grow. But we also expect our discernment to keep on deepening. Here's, here's the way that he qualifies and, and specifies what, what kind of growth in love he wants for and expects and sees in them. This is the rest of the verse. I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Of, in knowledge and every kind of discernment. In other words, it's not just a feel-good kind of love. It's a love that is informed. It's a love that is based on knowledge. That's why uh, as we grow in our faith, we are growing in knowledge. We read the scripture. We read and respond to scripture in a daily basis, like with the life journaling process. What are we doing? We're what, Hopefully, Every Sunday morning when you show up, you learn something. There's some something that you pick up on, some new thing that you gain, some greater insight, because your love grows as you grow in knowledge. Uh, in, I think, for, it's first or second Peter, I forget which, but it's one of the foundational uh, verses and principles for me in marriage. It says to live with your spouse in an understanding way. And I talk about getting a PhD in your S-P-O-U-S-E, right? Because what you want to do is keep learning about them because the more you learn about them, the more you will be able to love them better. And that applies to all of our relationships, right? The more I know you, the better I can love you. The more considerate I can be. The more our love can grow, because I appreciate you more as I get to know you, and the better I am at loving you, because I know what love looks like to you. It's the same kind of thing here. He's saying, I just won't, don't want you to feel good about this. I want your your knowledge to grow, because when your knowledge grows, your insight grows, your love will grow as well. And then he talks about in ev- and every kind of discernment every kind of discernment if you look in your growth guide I put in some put some notes about these different words in here and you'll see there let me find it here am I wrong the distinctive kind of love is not just emotional but informed and discerning here's what I want yeah this is what I was looking for Think embracing the facts and rejecting the false. That's what the discernment aspect is. It's embracing the facts and rejecting the false. And you're going to see this throughout this letter. He's saying, you know, I want you to look at people and I want you to be discerning. I want you to think about the theology and the basis of the gospel. And I want you to be discerning. That way you'll be able to sort through what is true and what is false. And I want you to apply this to your ethics as well. When you're choosing what you do, what's right and what's wrong, I want you to be discerning about that. Not just go with feelings, not just go with what your tribe is saying. I want it to be focused in and based on the gospel. I want you to be discerning. Jesus said the same kind of thing when in John 7, 24, he said, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. We want to we want to make Jesus look good to the world. Then we're going to we're going to be as his followers discerning. We're not just going to go with a gut instinct or what our tribe says. Again, it's uh, don't just go by mere appearances, but judge correctly. Do what is right. And then the 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 prayer shifts and is praying for things, but then he's going to focus in on. Well, why do I want these things for you? It's the so that, and that's what he says next. So that, why? Why do I want you to be able to do this? So that you may be able to discern what is best. You can choose. You can uh, lay out a a plate of options, a smorgasbord of options, but you'll have a love that is informed and discerning, and you'll be able to make the right choice. You'll be able to discern what is best. And that's what he goes on to explain a little bit more. So we've got grace in the past that gives us hope until the last. We can expect our love to keep on expanding. We can expect our discernment to keep on deepening. And we can expect our character to keep on growing. He's saying, I want you to be able to choose what's best, not just among theology, but among the the choices for the way that you live your life. I want you to choose, discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, this is my favorite part of the message right here. Pure and blameless. So the word for pure is kind of a compound word. It's talking about being judging. By that, we don't mean being judgmental. We mean being discerning. I'm, I'm able to discern. I'm able to judge. But the, the, the prefix to that word has a possibility of two different options, uh, origins. And either one of them is great. You can go with either one, or I like to have it informed with both. One is the first part of that word might have something to do with sunshine or light. So the idea here is that pure is something that can be brought into the light and you can see it for what it is. Right, uh, it reminds me of the definition of character that says character is what you do in the dark. It's what you do when nobody else is looking. So you you take your character and you bring it into the light. And in the light, you can see what's wrong. And in the light, you can deal with it. So it's a purifying effect. Here's the other option. It could be sunshine, you bring it into the light, or it could be the idea of spinning. Now, this is interesting because the picture here of spinning is think of a sieve, or you know, where you put something in and you spin it around and it filters out the pure and keeps the and separates it from the impurities. Some of you have probably been spinning. You know, there's been a little bit of spinning in your life, and it's dizzying and unpleasant. But do you see what God is doing in the midst of that? He's driving out the impurities in your life. He's purifying you. He's doing a work in your character that wouldn't happen any other way. So you can expect your character to to keep growing and deepening and getting better because, because God is, has a way of bringing stuff to light that you need to deal with. And he'll use everything in your life to separate out those impurities so that you will be pure. Then the idea of blameless is without blame, obviously. So there's, the, there's a sense of, um, you know, there's, there's nothing in my character that is going to detract from my testimony for Christ. That's what the idea of blameless is. You know, so often people speak for Christ, but there's something in their life that disqualifies them or argues against their testimony. And what he's saying is, look, what you can expect, what I pray for, for you, part of God's work in your life is he's going to make you blameless so that when people look at your life, they say, yep, you know, I may not believe what they believe, but they definitely do. I may not buy all the things that they buy, but there's nothing in their life that would make me say, nah, not going to do that not going to at least consider that. He, God is at work to make you pure and blameless right until the end. The day of Christ is the day of the Lord. It's the day when history comes to a close, when Jesus returns, when God's kingdom in all its fullness is set up. And he's like, I, you're going to be on that day. You're going to stand before Christ and his work is going to be done. And what has his work been doing? He's been purifying you. He's been bringing things to light. He's been sorting out the the, the crud in your life, and He's making it so that you are blameless. Then He goes on to describe this: filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, um, not too long ago, actually, but in the last couple of years, it uh, it was pointed out to me that righteousness. I, t- I had tended to think about righteousness as you know kind of a holier than thou kind of thing, or you know always concerned about. Uh, the particulars of religious observance or something like that. When somebody pointed out righteousness is just talking about right relationships. It's doing right by others. When sometimes it's God that's, you know, we, we, we treat God in a way that doesn't fit with who he is and his place and position and what the, the holiness and the respect that is due him. That's, we're not right in the right if we, if we, if we don't treat God as we should the relationship is wrong. Sometimes it has to do with other people and this is probably the clearest thing. You know, if I don't do right by other people, I'm not righteous. And and the right thing to do is to do right by others. And sometimes it even has to do with us because God wants what's best for us. Sometimes we make choices and do things that damage us and we're we're not in right relationship with God or ourselves when we are self-destructive like that. And it makes me think about, you know, sometimes I've told you before, my kids will say something about this stuff. I was like, no, I wouldn't let anybody else talk about you the way you're talking about you, so stop it. <laughs> you know, tell yourself the truth. Say the right thing. And if, if somebody was, was talking about or treating somebody like uh, in a damaging way, somebody that I care about, that I love, then they're going to have a problem with me. And God's like that because he's a loving, heavenly father. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to, to, to hurt and damage and destroy someone he loves even if that someone and especially perhaps if that someone is you. So that's what it means. It's like you're going to you're going to do right by God, you're going to do right by others, you're going to do right by yourself. That's what when you when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to fill you up with the fruit which is righteousness and that only comes through Jesus Christ. And what's the end game? In the end on that day of Christ, at, uh, at the end uh, to the praise and glory of God. And remember we said this is another theme in this book is God's, God gets the credit. He's gonna get the credit for what's going on. So the grace that God has demonstrated to the Philippians, to us, to you in the past should give us hope right up to the last. So here's what I want you to do. You can do this now. And your growth guide, you might already have a couple of ideas. They can just be one or two, three words. But I want you to look back over your life. And, and I'm serious about this. You know, Don't save this for later. There are ways that God has been at work in your life. There are graces. There are gifts that God has given you. And I just want you to spend a couple of minutes and just think about that. What, what are the good things? How, how has God intervened in my life? When this went wrong, how did God help to make things right? When I was far from God, what did he do? What grace did he extend to me? And just write down a couple of words. And if you can't or won't do this now, come back. And you know this will take all of three minutes if you do this. But just think about, just like the Apostle Paul. He's like, wow, when I came to Philippi, they believed the gospel, and they jumped right in and helped. So God, God was at work, and God is the kind of God that doesn't just start something and abandon it. God has been at work in each one of your lives, and he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to give up on you, and that should give you hope. And let me give you a little bonus. Grace in the past gives us hope until the last We expect our love to keep on expanding. We expect discernment to keep on deepening. We expect our character to keep on growing. And we can expect God's glory to keep on spreading. Here's how the message translation put that last phrase. Making Christ attractive to all. Remember the idea of blameless is there's nothing in my life that detracts from my testimony about Jesus. Making Jesus Christ attractive to all. And getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. They accepted the message, and then they started sharing the message. uh, Paul is praying that their lives will be blameless so there'll be nothing to detract from their testimony to Jesus Christ. And that's what we can expect as well. As God continues to work on us, as he draws us into his mission, and his story becomes our story, his heart becomes our heart, His mission becomes our mission. We can expect that God's gonna do all these things for us and in us and through us, and we can expect others to be drawn to that as well so that in the end, more and more people are involved in the glory and praise of God. So that's why I'll give you an invitation right now if if you're watching this and you're listening to this and you're like well i'm not i'm not absolutely convinced that god has been at work i mean i've never I, I i don't know where i stand with god well you can solve that you can you can take care of that right now the fact that you're listening the fact that you're interested is evidence of god's work in your life and so the first step the first most important next step is to say yes what do we mean by that? We're uh, we're doing what the, the Philippians did at the very beginning. They're saying yes to the gospel, yes to Jesus, yes that what He did on the cross in forgiving our sins is going to count for me. That as He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is ruling and reigning, I'm going to acknowledge His rule and reign. I'm going to He's going to get He's I'm going to acknowledge Him as King. He's going to be the boss. He's going to call the shots in my life. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want to be included in the gospel. From the moment you do that, God does a work in your heart that may be imperceptible at first, but He has started a work. And any work that He starts, He's the kind of God that's going to keep at it and keep working and keep encouraging and keep moving and keep extending his grace and keep sharing his power until what all the good intentions everything that he hopes for in your life which ex- which are far exceed your best hopes for yourself he's like i'm going to make that happen cuz that one belongs to me let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace that you extended to us. That when we weren't interested and certainly didn't deserve it, you went to the cross, died for our sins, made a way for us to be restored to you, adopted into your family, citizens in your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for all the ones that are listening and watching that, that know where they stand because they have made that decision and I pray, Lord, for those that are wondering or, or teetering or just not, not sure yet, give them the encouragement. Give them the encouragement to just take that step, to trust you, to say yes from this point on to you. I thank you, Lord, that you have said yes to us. Yes, I will forgive them. Yes, I will stick with them. Yes, I will empower them. Yes, I will include them in my forever family. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, I pray for those that came in discouraged, maybe about a lack of progress in their life, discouraged because they seem to be making the same mistakes and tripping over the same temptations and messing up in the same ways. Lord, you see it you love them, through Christ you forgive them, and through Christ and your Holy Spirit, you will change them. Help us to embrace that, to embrace your grace, to live in hope, knowing that you, because you began a good work in us, will carry it through to completion and to the last, until the day of Christ. Help us to live in that hope day in and day out, not based on our strength, not based on our power, not based on our commitment, but based on who you are, what you have done, and what you have promised. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Have a great week.